We are continuing this morning in our series on love, well, faith and politics, and this morning we're talking about a new framework, love and truth. So a a new framework, a love and truth framework. So, oh man, this is like super wobbly. Let me see if I can do a quick repair. It's all good. All right. I think that's better. So um, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 if you have a Bible with you. Um, I think we'll get it up on the screen as well. And uh, beginning in verse 11. It says this, He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. I want to read that in the message paraphrase. And, uh, you could follow along with me. It says, He handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher to train Christ followers in skilled servant work. All uh, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. No prolonged infancies among us, please, will not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants us to grow up to know the whole truth and tell it in love. Like Christ in everything, we take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust. I love that word, robust in love. All right, pray with me. Father, I thank you today for your spirit that is with us as we read the words of Scripture. And I pray that you would open our eyes to see you more completely. That you would open our ears, that we would hear from your voice today, or whenever we view or listen to this. And I pray that you would open our hearts to respond, not in um, hardness, but in soft tenderness and love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. We need a new framework, friends. A new framework. A framework that is totally different than what we've been given. But to to, to sort of help us think through this, let me ask you a question. 
do you advocate for social justice or for family values? Do you support women or are you against abortion? Do you love the poor or do you believe in personal responsibility? Now, don't answer these questions. They're trick questions. They're based on an either-or framework. They create a false dilemma, especially for followers of Jesus. And as friends in, our, in the end campaign say, we end up choosing one of two wrong answers or rejecting one of two right answers. But don't you feel kind of like that sometimes, like you're stuck on a tightrope? Am I the only one? You know, like, do you feel like the options we're given aren't sufficient? Um, like, you think to yourself, there must be another way, right? There must be another way. Can't I support women and the unborn? Can't I love the poor and take responsibility? Can't I stand for the oppressed and the family? See, our political system, it separates these things. It um, separates love from truth or compassion from conviction, social justice from moral order. And we're giving two frameworks most of the time. You know, it could be conservative or liberal. Um, this or that, right? And, 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 or sometimes we find ourselves in this like hodgepodge middle ground that frankly just looks a lot of the time like, I don't care. Or hey, can't we all just get along? Um, and so what happens is as Christians, we're tempted to fit our faith into these frameworks, right? And I suggest a lot of the unrest and uneasiness right now is the realization that these things don't fit. Um, and the invitation from Jesus right now is to receive a new framework, a redemption story framework, a love and truth framework. But this requires a new imagination, See, we're so steeped in the frameworks that we've been given, um, whether we want to admit it or not. But we need a new set of glasses, a new way of seeing. So enter our text this morning, and Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And this church in Ephesus was known as the persevering church, and according to Revelation 2. They had endured a lot of suffering. They had false prophets and teachers who were trying to infiltrate the church with false teachings. They were at risk, just like today, at being misguided into false teaching. And those trying to fit the Jesus gospel into the framework of their day. So Paul, he's writing to the Ephesian church. He encourages them to continue to grow up and to mature as a means to discern and to be able to persevere even amongst the false teachings. So the goal of the church, he says, is to be growing into maturity, growing into Christ's fullness, um, this is the goal of discipleship, is to become like Jesus. It's a lifelong journey of becoming like Christ, and our measurement stick for success is not the metrics that the world uses. Uh, fame, money, influence, affluence, comfort, power, and so on, right? The metric, as Paul writes here, is the fullness of Christ. So the telltale sign of one who is maturing in Christ, as Paul writes, is that they aren't blown around by every wind of teaching, caught up in the cunning and deceitful messages of our day. You know what that word cunning means? It literally means readiness to do anything. <laughs> so 
We see that clearly today, don't we? A readiness from our politicians and our political culture and climate to do whatever it takes to get your vote. And both parties will use deceit, pandering, catchphrases, fear-filled tactics to get your vote. It's cunning. It's a readiness to do whatever it takes, whatever the costs. But a mature person is able to see through that. A mature follower of Jesus does, you know, does this and while measuring these messages against the truth of the gospel and the way of love. So as we are hit with these messages, we are asking ourselves, how does this fit with both truth and love of Jesus? And the reality is, here, I just need you to hear this, no political party will fully um, align with the words, works, and ways of Jesus. They're always going to fall short in some way. And if you just blindly accept the issues as they are framed by our political system, you too will miss the words, works, and ways of Jesus. And Paul calls that infancy. Infancy. And I love how Eugene Peterson translates it here in the message. He says, no prolonged infancies among us, please. No prolonged infancies among us, please. Don't be an easy mark for imposters. God wants you to grow up, friends, to know the whole truth and to tell it in love. All right, so let's talk about a new framework today, the love and truth framework. John 1.14 writes this. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory and the glory as the one and only Son, full of grace and truth. So back to our tightrope. Could you put up that image? It should be somewhere. Let's see. Right about here. Yes, there. That image. (laughs) Um, So this is what happens. Most of us, we hear this. Okay, we hear um, full of grace and truth or speak the truth in love, right? And we think of a tightrope balancing act between grace and truth, between love and truth. We consider the, the framework that we have is we only can think in either or, right? This is the frame that we're, that we're giving. And so sometimes life calls for me to be nice, to care for people. So I'm going to balance over here to that part of or it's on this side based on where you're looking. <laughs> so, you know, like... I'll balance over here. I'm going to be nice, care for people. And sometimes life requires me to balance over here and get tough in order to get things done and make things happen. It's the common good cop, bad cop routine, right? One, you know, in parenting, for example, one spouse tends to be the nice one and the other one is the kind of tougher bad cop, right? And we kind of think, well, hopefully we balance each other out and our kids experience both ends of the spectrum and, you know. But my friends at Gravity Leadership uh, suggest that in the end, this is a zero-sum game where we're really unable to live in the way of love. And they said to lean into one is to lean, into, is to lean away from the other. So if I, if I, if I uh, lean to one side, then I'm leaving the other. You understand? It's a tightrope. And so we end up aiming at balance, but we seldom hit anything remotely that resembles the posture of Jesus towards others. See, Jesus isn't on a balancing uh, He's not doing the tightrope thing. Uh, it says he's full of grace and truth. 
He is a hundred percent grace and love and a hundred percent truth. And so what happens is if we end up trying to be one or the other, we end up trying we end up being neither. And we end up just creating shadows or parodies of both of these things. So to help us sort of just unpack this briefly this morning, I want to use a matrix developed by gravity leadership. And this really helped me understand um, this new framework and how it's not just some balancing tightrope that we need to walk, but rather a whole new way of framing, new way of seeing. So why does this matter to politics? Well, as we enter the public square, as we engage politics as followers of Jesus, we do so not by bringing Jesus and fitting him into the frameworks of our political systems. We bring with us a totally new framework, a totally new way of looking at the world and at politics. And I believe it's the way of shalom, of peace, that is so needed in our polarized, fear-filled world today. So here's this matrix. Let's put that up there. All right, there it is. Um, so let's, let's, let's examine some of the shadow cultures, the parts of this matrix that ultimately fall short. All right, the first is this. Let's go to this one. It's called call out, call out. Um, tr- truth without grace. So here we're all about truth. We're all about truth, uh, but there's little grace. The, the culture here is mostly concerned with right or wrong. Things need to be done correctly. Every flaw is pointed out and dealt with. The assumption is that life is about doing the right things in the right way, and the best thing you can do for people who get it wrong is point it out, to call it out. Um, I've been there in the past. You know, Sometimes you have a goal in mind. Uh, relationships and connection with people take a back seat to getting the job done. We think we are God's police and become obsessed with looking for wrong, being tough on sin, and whenever we see it, we call it out, and often the motivation, the the means that we get people to change is to use guilt and to point out their flaws and their sin. The reality is, is call-out culture never works. I mean, as much as we attempt to do this, often thinking it's, it's in the good of others. Well, it's my good if I point out to you that you are X, Y, and Z. How else would you change if I don't tell you? <laughs> Often that culture, oh, I think always, it, it doesn't work. It falls short. Um, and, 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 and what happens is people under the weight of guilt, just trying harder and harder, no one ends up changing. Call-out culture then disconnects us from others because you just can't have a relationship of trust that's formed on the foundation of guilt and shame. I can't get close to you if the foundation of our connection, our relationship, is that you're going to call out my issues to try to get me to change. So parents, right, who primarily parent this way ultimately end up driving their children away even though they might convince that what they are calling out is for their child's good. So the call-out culture, it pushes people away, and it forces a culture of pretending. I'm good, I got it all together, because I don't want to show my flaws in fear that they're going to be called out. So now we're pretending and we're hiding, and it's all rooted in fear and guilt and shame. See, ultimately, if I know that you're going to 
call me out every time I do something wrong. I'm going to pull away from you. I'm going to hide from you, or I'm going to pretend when I'm around you. How have you experienced call-out culture? Okay, that's call-out culture. Secondly, hang-out culture. It's the opposite. So here's our kind of two ends of the tightrope. Um, so we, this is what we do, right? We experience call-out culture, and then we swing the pendulum, and then we just want hang-out culture. So it's the other end of the seesaw, right? Here, hang-out culture is all about grace, and we avoid truth. The main priority here in hangout culture is for everyone to get along, for there to be no conflict, and for nobody to feel uncomfortable. Issues and conversations that might create conflict or discomfort are avoided or somehow massaged away. And the most important thing here is keeping the peace. This means that we avoid confrontation, we avoid truth-telling, we avoid submitting to listening to the truth. And this culture is often marked by passive-aggressive behaviors because the main motivation is keeping everybody happy. It looks like unity on the surface, right? But call-out culture drives... See, where call-out culture drives people apart, right? because we call it out as it is. Hangout culture is like the opposite. We are so focused on keeping the peace and keeping people together that we shrink back from difficult conversations. Um, in parenting, this is where you get the term helicopter parenting. See, if call-out culture is parenting is all about compliance at all costs, you must comply at all costs, and when you don't comply, I'm going to call you out, Hangout culture as a parent just says, I want my kid to be happy. My primary motivation is I just want my kid to be happy. And our friends at Gravity Leadership point out, in the end, hangout culture disempowers others by denying their agency, taking on others' responsibilities as our own. The grace it seems to express, the surface stuff, isn't really Jesus' grace because his grace Jesus' grace empowered others, but hangout culture keeps others dependent on us. The result is an overconnection in relationships. Common words in our culture for these unhealthy, toxic relationships are codependency and enmeshment. In a call-out posture, see, so the call-out posture, the opposite side, creates a culture of performance and hiding. Hangout culture creates a culture of pleasing and pretending. Everyone is working overtime to make each other happy and pretending that they are fine. See how both of these sort of extremes end up leading you into a um, false sense of peace, right? It's not the peace, the shalom that Jesus envisions. And hangout culture keeps us close to people, like physically, but we're never able to connect with them on a soul level. How have you experienced hangout culture? All right, next, next uh, quadrant of our matrix. So when we get to the end of our tightrope, right, the seesaw that we're on, when we've, spun, when, we've spun, when we've swung the pendulum in exhaustion, 
ultimately, we're going to check out. And here we have checkout culture. Our primary priority is survival. And frankly, we just resort to self-preservation. We hide, we numb, we disconnect, we give up. We end up sticking with our group. Could just be our family, a couple relationships, our people, right? I'm exhausted. I couldn't change you through the call-out, you know, through the guilt of the call-out culture. I'm exhausted because we're hanging out, but the, the dance of avoiding conflict and keeping the peace is just so hard to maintain, right? And so we just check out. And our whole framework then becomes about me. Life is seen through the lens of what protects me, what comforts me, what excites me, what benefits me, and so on. Check out culture. How have you experienced check out culture? All right. Finally, the fourth one, the one that we are interested in pursuing, we're going to call it the call-in culture. Our friend Gino referenced this last week. Um, See, when we see Jesus, we see he's not balancing on a tightrope. He's not on the seesaw. He's not swinging the pendulum, right? He's both grace and truth. He's 100% of both. And out of kenosis, out of his selfless love, he is both grace and truth. So what is grace, right? What is truth in in this call-in culture? Did you know that grace existed within God before the world was created? Think about this. Often we think of grace as God's love toward us in the midst of our sin, right? We call it like this gift that God gives us that we didn't deserve. But grace existed. Jesus is both grace and truth before we rebelled, before we sinned. See, grace is the nature of God. It's who he is. And we have to remember the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is in a gracious relationship from the beginning of time. He's giving of himself. The Father is pouring into the Son, and the Son is pouring into the Spirit, and so on. This is a self-giving relationship called grace. Gravity Leadership puts it this way. Grace is God's empowering presence that reaches out to connect. God's desire to be with us. The gift of relationship. Grace has to do with presence. Grace says, I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. I'm glad to be here. You matter. A call-in culture is marked by increasing connection, joy, and freedom in relationships. So that's what grace is about. So what about truth? If the truth is not to point out what's wrong, how do we tell the truth, right? See, in call-out culture, truth is a weapon. The goal is to win and to prove oneself right, to divide, to conquer, to overpower you. But see, Jesus' truth is about seeing people as God sees them. Truth is about inviting people into their identity in Christ. Truth is a vision of God's new reality. It's empowerment that calls people into God's kingdom. Truth is about seeing the world as Jesus sees it. It's about seeing through the framework of the redemption story that is encapsulated in the words, works, and ways of Jesus. It's a new vision for life 
that invites others to live in that vision of freedom, from, you know, freedom from performance and from striving to get it right, freedom from hiding and pretending. See, call in culture, it is both grace and truth. We call others into loving relationships that are about connection, compassion, empathy, rather than simply hanging out and avoiding conflict. We're calling out. Call-in culture develops connection that holds safe space that enables us to be stretched into God's good vision for our lives. Call-in culture, it's a whole new way. It's not just adding a little truth to hangout culture or adding a little grace to call-out culture. It, it's, it's, it's like learning a new language. And in order to do that, we need to submit to Jesus and allow him to shape us in this way of love. It's foreign. It's a foreign language, friends. Do you have a vision for this? How might call-in framework, how might this call-in framework of love and truth influence the way we engage in politics? Do you have an imagination for this? How we might be seeing others? How might this change the way we engage our neighbors. So I'd like to take just a few minutes to reflect. And when we're done, we'll maybe just come back and see what's rising to the surface. So let's just take a few moments and um, reflect. What's, the, what's, what's lifting to the surface for you? Where have you experienced these different frameworks? You can leave up that um, image there. And um, just consider where, where for you, um, have you experienced a call-in culture? Um, what might it look like? What ways do we need to let go of, of the other frameworks, uh, to be able to live into this new framework of both love and truth? So let's take a moment or two and consider that.